0: If you've got a Bible or a smart device, uh, I want to encourage you to find Job chapter three. We are uh, in this series we started last week entitled "It Doesn't Seem Like Love," and last week we talked about Job's unlikely story. We looked at those first two chapters, and and uh, if you weren't here with us, I'd really encourage you to just go read those two chapters this afternoon. Uh, kind of immerse yourself in Job's story, and, and um, we we talked about this idea that if we blame God before we ask hard questions, that we become the source of our truth. Uh, that we, we all of a sudden, in that moment, as soon as we blame God, we say that, that our truth is more important than the truth of God. And that keeps us from actually wrestling with hard questions. Uh, in, in light of that, we as a church, uh, we wanted to uh, challenge one another to make three commitments over the next six weeks as we go through this book of Job. Uh, One of those was to memorize Job 19.25. You saw it on the chalkboard as you came in. And it says, but I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end, he will stand on the dust. And so I want to encourage you. Here's what was crazy. I did not know. I went home that day the Bible app. They got a verse of the day, you know. The verse of the day last Sunday, Job 19.25. Crazy. There, There are you versions like trying to steal our stuff or something. I don't know. All right, So um, we want to encourage you to, to memorize that. We wanted to encourage one another to make a commitment to not blame, to not blame one another, to not blame God as we go through this series and just see how it changes our, our perspective, our worldview. Uh, and then we wanted to make a commitment to be in community groups. And we wanted to do that because we knew as Job's story continues, he transitions from all this t- these terrible things that happened to much of the book being this, this conversation between he and some of his friends and we talked about the messiness of those conversations. We're going to dig into those over the next four weeks. And we're having some of those similar conversations in community groups here at Christ Community. We're, ans- we're answering hard questions. And so uh, those are on our- your bulletin today. We still would love for you to get into one of those uh, as we think about that. And so today, we come to Job 3. And <clears throat> Job 3 is the beginning Of these conversations with Job's circle of friends to to catch us up. Job has gone through all these terrible things. His friends have come They've sat for seven days in silence and mourning and Then we read this in Job chapter 3 After this Job began to speak and he cursed the day he was born He said may the day that I was born perish and the night that said a boy is conceived if only that day had turned to darkness May God above not care about it or light shine on it, may darkness and gloom reclaim it, and a cloud settle over it. May that may what darkness may may what darkens the day terrify it. If only darkness had taken that night away, May it not appear among the days of the year or be listed in the calendar. Yes, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout be heard in it. Let those who curse days condemn it. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars grow dark. May it work for daylight but have none. May it not see the breaking of dawn. For that night did not shut the doors of my mother's wombs and hide sorrow from my eyes. Why was I not stillborn? Why didn't I die? As I came from the womb, why did the knees receive me and why were there breasts for me to nurse? Now, I would certainly be lying down in peace. I would be asleep. Then I would be at rest with the kings and the counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruined cities for themselves or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a miscarried child, like infants who never see daylight? There the wicked cease to make trouble, and there the weary find rest. The captives are completely at rest. They do not hear a taskmaster's voice. Both small and great are there, and the slave is set free from his master. Why is light given to one burdened with grief, and and life to those whose existence is bitter, who wait for death but it does not come, and search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with much joy and are glad when they reach the grave? Why is life given to a man whose path is hidden, whom God has hedged in, I sigh when food is put before me, and my groans pour out like water. For the thing I feared has overtaken me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I cannot relax or be calm. I have no rest, for turmoil has come. Heavenly Father, as we come into your word this morning here in Job 3, that is tough reading. Dark. And so we just pray that as we open your word and we read this, that you, you, God, would shine the light of Christ so clearly through the dark. Father, I just pray that for each person in this room, as we experience your word, that uh, whatever whatever place we are in, whatever dark times we have gone through, that you would help us through your spirit and through your word to see the light of Christ shining brightly this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jurgen Moltmann was born in Germany and he was drafted into the German Army around 1944. He quickly gave himself up as a prisoner of war and in Belgium he was put into a POW camp and in that camp they would torture the soldiers that they had taken as prisoners by telling them about what was happening in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. They would begin to share stories of what was happening. They would show them pictures of the people who were existing there. Moltmann himself said, My remorse was so great that I often felt I would have rather died, I would rather have died than to to face the nation face what his nation had done. He came to a moment of deep and dark despair as he was in those camps. And as he came to that place, a group of Christians came and began to share the hope of Christ with him. In Moltman's words he said, I didn't find Christ, rather Christ found me. And as he found Christ, he became a great Christian leader who to this day uh, continues to help Christians all over the world think deeply about the love of God and how he has created us. You know, in Jürgen's story, he comes to this moment in time, right? He comes to this moment in time where he curses everything that he knows himself to be, a German, a soldier. And in that moment of cursing, it, there's a transition that happens as Christ and the light of Christ comes in that, that causes him to question everything that he thought he knew. And much like Jurgen's story, we see that same transition from cursing to questioning happening in Job's. In the first ten verses, Job is cursing the day that he's born. He's not cursing God, but rather the day that he was born. And as he's cursing that, he comes to this point in verse 11 where the, the narrative shifts. And he says, hold on, why was I not stillborn? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? You know, there's many times that our our hard times push us through cursing, what's happening, to the questioning of our beginning. When we get done kind of over that initial cursing and anger and frustration of our hard times, we begin to to ask these questions of, of origin. It may start with something like, why didn't I die? Much as Job expressed but then when we realize that we haven't died, those questions, they begin to change and morph, and they become things like, why am I alive? Why am I alive? And, and you know, if I'm alive, why, why did God create humans if he knew that, that we would sin and, and our sin would bring this unimaginable misery for us all? Like, why were we created? That doesn't seem like Love. And then as we think about our creation, we begin to ask questions like, how are we created? Like, how how did we end up in this mess? Surely the way that I was created affects that. You know, like, what is man in general? Who am I? Hard times begin to to push us through the cursing, through the the frustrations, into questioning our beginnings. Now, maybe you haven't experienced anything that, that wanted to make you die. Maybe you have. But all of us have likely wondered through some of these other related questions. We've questioned our origin, our beginnings. Sometimes it's because we can't find a job or we feel stuck in a job or we lose a job unexpectedly, and we begin to question everything about our existence. Maybe we'd always dreamed of being married, but then when it actually happens, it's way harder than we'd ever thought it would be. And in those early days of marriage, we just begin to question. And that question drives us back to, who we are, and the creation that we are. Maybe divorce caught us unexpectedly. Maybe something unexpected puts us behind financially and and we just don't see a way out of it. And we begin to think, man, like, why didn't I just die? Like, rather than go through these things, why, why didn't I just die? And why am I alive in the first place? Maybe we've not gone through these things, but we've simply witnessed someone else going through the most difficult of situations. And it just causes us to question. It causes us to question. And when we begin to question, we find ourselves with depression, or maybe these symptoms of depression that Job himself talks about. Sleep becomes irregular. We're sleeping more than usual, or we're not wanting to get out of bed and face the day, or we can't fall asleep. Self-esteem and self-care are low, as Job, we think about in his situation, is sitting in the dirt with boils and and uncleanliness all over him. Maybe you find yourself just exploding towards others and, and with emotions that you can't even begin to describe or put a handle on. And as we go through these things, it leads to these paralyzing questions. These paralyzing questions of where we came from and how we were created. And these questions, they don't leave us alone. They become as agonizing as the situation that we're in ourselves. Job sums it up so well at the end of chapter 3, verse 26, when he says, I can't relax. I can't be calm. I have no rest. For turmoil has come. Job is left in this miserable state, asking some of the hardest questions of himself that he has ever had. And notice that in doing this, he he doesn't curse God, but rather just the day he was born. You know, the the one thing that we see in Job's story, just as a a sideline, is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay with terrible situations. It's okay to recognize that that pain is bad, that life is hard, and, and things shouldn't be the way that they are. Those things are okay. But being okay with not being okay doesn't answer the question, why didn't I die? Why didn't Job die? God, why create humans Why create humans if you know sin would bring misery? Job 19.25. It's a verse that we're going to keep coming back to because it so clearly portrays the gospel and helps us to think about these tough questions. But I know that my Redeemer lives. This is Job in the middle of the book, and we're going to get there, right? I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end, he will stand on the dust. And today, I want us to just think about one of these words in particular, lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. He he lives. And we so take that for granted that we forget about the significance of simply living. How is it that God, the creator of the universe, the one who is eternally existent, lives? How is it that he's always alive? What is his existence even like? You know, too often we get these little pictures of God or we put God in these boxes and we forget the, the glory and the majesty and the beauty of who he is. We say all the time here at Christ Community and other churches that, that God is a, a triune God. He's three in one. Our, our community kids, that was one of the very first things they learned as they were going through uh, some of the stuff they're going through, that, that God is three persons in one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And we say that and we can't comprehend it, but because we can't comprehend it, we also often don't think about the implications of it. And this is the very thing that makes God beautiful. You see, God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Spirit. But the Father is not the Son, and the Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit, but they are one. Like, it's this mind-boggling thing, and, and too often, as the, our mind begins to boggle about who God is, we just let go of the implications of what that means. They are all one, and, and they are both all one and all the same, and yet, at the same time, they are not. They are unique. You're like, how in the world? Magnolia, my one-year-old, has done something cute this week, so she gets to make the sermon. We keep a tally on the fridge at home. No, I'm just kidding. It started, I think Eric might have been the first one to do it, but he he looked at Magnolia and he said, I love you. Magnolia looks back at him and she goes, love me. (laughs) That's awesome. So now she started doing that because she got a laugh, right? (laughs) So I'm like, Magnolia, last night before she goes to bed, I'm like, Magnolia, I love you. And she goes, love me. (laughs) Love me. How often do we take that position with God? God says, I love you. You're like, yeah, love me. Yeah, God, love me. We know, as we think about Magnolia's situation, that that's a little bit selfish. Right? We're loving one another. And that's the beauty of God. You know, we say that God is love. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God is just existing to love us. God is eternally love because of his love for one another for himself. The Father is constantly pouring himself out in love for the Son and for the Spirit. He's constantly giving himself up for them. The Son is constantly pouring himself out in love for the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit is constantly pouring himself out for the Father and the Son. And so God is love because in himself, three persons in one God, he is constantly showing love to himself. He's so much bigger and better than our minds can even begin to comprehend and think about. And so in our fragile, weak human minds, we're like Magnolia saying, when God says, I love you, I like, love me. And he's saying, no, 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 no. I am love because of my love for within, the tr- within the Trinity. And the beauty of that is that God creates out of that love, God creates life out of how he exists, not out of how we picture him. Jürgen Moltmann, who I told his story earlier, he's become this uh, great theologian around some of these ideas. And he said this about creation. Creation exists in the spirit. It's molded by the Son and it's created by the Father. Creation is therefore from God, through God, and in God. I begin to almost picture it like this. In the beginning, at creation, it's almost like God is having the most fun date you've ever been on. It's like the Father and the Son and the Spirit like go out for the day, and they're like, let's build the most magnificent creation ever. And if you're married, like, that means you go and you do some kind of really special pottery that's going to be in your house forever, and you're going to have to move six times with you, and then you look back and you're like, that color's all wrong for the new kitchen. But it's like they have this beautiful day, and and we see this in Scripture, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all there together in creation. And I want to take us on this, this quick scriptural journey to see how they're working together in creation, and then out of that, the pinnacle of his creation is you and I. And that changes everything, we're going to see. That changes everything about how you and I think about living. So we go all the way back to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So the Spirit is there. The Spirit is in creation. You think, well, guys, Jesus wasn't there. Jesus didn't come until he was born in the manger. Duh. That's not what scripture says. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So we see the Spirit, and we see the Son, and and the Father is there, and then I love what we read in Genesis 1:26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let, what's it say? Us. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Can you see it? This beautiful picture of God being love, the Father loving the Son and the Spirit, the Spirit loving the Son and the Father, as as that love is pouring out in them, it overflows into his creation of us. We are intended to reflect that to the world. And so when we come back to Job's question, you know, we may not be able to answer why Job or we didn't die. But we do know this. You were created to live. You were created to live and to flourish and to reflect the eternal life of God. The reason you live is because that's what you were created to do. And because of that, we can say with confidence that pain and suffering and death, are, they are terrible. Because that's not what you were created to do. You are created to live. Jesus, Jesus comes onto the scene. As he's nearing his death on the cross, you say, wait a second, life, we're, we're created to live, he's eternal, And as he's nearing that death, he goes with his disciples and he washes their feet. And then he begins to have these really deep conversations with them and in John chapter 14, verse 19, he says this, in a little while, the world will no longer see me He's referring to his death but you will see me he's talking about the resurrection and then he says because I live you will live too this is amazing that in spite of all the terrible things that we go through in spite of the sin that causes death in spite of the fact that we wait like we face death all day long because Jesus lives You will live, too, if you have faith and believe in him. And so as we think about this question, why didn't I die, we may not be able to answer the question, but we know that we are created to live and to live fully alive. Irenaeus of Lyons, he's this really, really old guy. So he was discipled by a guy named named Polycarp, and then he was discipled by this guy named John, who was like with Jesus and wrote some books in the Bible. And he says, the glory of God... Is the human person fully alive? That's the glory of God. And this was a statement that he made because during his time, people were trying to decide, well, was Jesus God or was he man? And the implications are huge because Jesus was both. His existence wasn't one or the other, and neither is yours. You see, to be fully alive is to not compartmentalize your life. It's not to begin to, to, to siphon things out and cut them up and hope that it all works together. That's not the gospel. The gospel calls us to live and to live fully alive. And that means that those parts of our lives that conflict with one another don't have to be that way. We don't have to live within the compartments that the world wants us to have. Because as soon as you begin to live in those compartments, you're not living fully alive. When life is lived in compartments, you begin to have multiple existences, none of which is is lived fully. It's not that you don't have multiple facets of your life that require different things from you. The problem becomes when one or more of those things begins to exist outside and separately from all the rest. And so we think about that in the context of our lives. For some of us, work just becomes work. It stays at work It's never something that you talk about or share with your spouse or your kids. Work is just work. Jesus lives, and you will too, fully. For some of us, the opposite is true. Home is just home. No one at your job knows anything about your family or your home or your kids or the things that you like to do. And to that, I say, man, Jesus lives so that you could be fully alive. Who you are on the weekends stays on the weekends. It's separate from everything that you do and everything that you are the rest of the week. It's just these little compartments. Jesus lives so that you can live fully alive. There's, maybe for some of you there's a, there's a thought life or, or even just some nagging repetitive thoughts that, that they exist within you. It's almost like another person. And, they, and you never let anyone see or hear about those things. A compartment of your life known to no one. That's not the life the gospel calls you to live. Maybe you have an entirely different life that exists on social media. You find yourself protecting what you share from the people that you love the most. Jesus lives so that you can live too. Maybe you're one kind of spouse in front of your kids or out in public, and you're another one when it's just the two of you. Those compartments are not what Jesus calls us to. Maybe for some of us, you completely ignore certain sins or sins that you struggle with for one of many reasons. You say, it's just not worth it to even try and root that sin out of my life. You say, it seems enjoyable at the time, so I don't need to mess with that. Or maybe you're just unaware of it. There are sins in our life that we're not even aware of yet. It's that. I say, Jesus lives, and you will too. You see, you're not to be condemned by these things. You're not to be condemned that that there's compartments in your life. But you also need to know that you're not living fully alive. That you're not living the life that Christ intended you to live. That you're not living in reflection of the one who created you for life. To live with multiple gifts and abilities and passions and desires and dreams that are all drawn into one vision for a life that's given to you by Christ's grace to be lived for Christ's glory. That's the vision, to be the person fully alive that God created you to be so that you might bring him glory. Now, unless you think this is just about work-life balance and figuring out how to keep all the plates spinning, I want us to think about the picture of the gospel in Colossians 1, 21 and 22. It says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, there was division in you, Right? You were separated from who you were called to be. But now, he, Christ, has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. There is so much more to you than just work or marriage or a job or career. There are emotions. There's, there's a physical body. There's a soul. There's a spirit of God living in you. And those are meant to be One just as God is three in one. So why didn't I die? Why didn't you die? I don't know. But I know, Job says, that my Redeemer lives. He lives. And at the end, he will stand on the dust. So for the glory of God, live a life fully alive. Stop compartmentalizing your life. And allow the gospel to bring you into one person. The person that God created you to be who reflects his glory to the world. You know, the beauty of the gospel this morning is that we are afforded a second beginning. A new life. Communion is a reminder that my Redeemer lives. And because we believe he lives, we live too, Jesus reminds us. You know, we get so good at just rolling off the gospel that Christ died, Christ rose again. But we forget that in that, he made a way for us to live again. To live beyond our sin, to live for an eternity. And this morning as we come forward as baptized believers, and we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice, we remember that he sacrificed his body so that we could live and live fully. This morning I invite you to to remember that, to celebrate that. I invite you, if you're struggling with, with these compartments in your life, to confess that to the Lord. He can help you walk through those things. He can make you whole again. And as we do that together, I encourage you to do it just like Job and his friends did, through honest and real conversations in community with one another. This morning, that's our call to the gospel. It's a little abstract. There's not these concrete things like memorize this verse or do these things. But for so many of us, we need to take some time this morning and this week to think about what are those things that are beginning to to exist in their own world? Those things that maybe have begun to exist outside of Christ. Those things that I've put over here and not really dealt with. And as you think about what those things are, you allow Christ to draw you in, to transform them, and show you how he's redeemed those so that you could live fully for him. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll respond to the gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you for being there at creation with him and the Spirit. We thank you for loving the Son and the Spirit. We thank you, God, for being love, for creating us in that very same image. Father, we just ask and pray that you would come into this place this morning and that you would, uh, you know what each of us need. For some of us, we are in a very dark place. We're asking the question, why didn't I die? And I pray that this morning your spirit would remind us that you created us to live For some of us, Father, we know that we're alive, but we're so scattered, we're so busy, we're so fragmented. And I pray, God, that you would remind us this morning that that the love of Christ calls us to be one, one with you in purpose and in creation. Spirit, work as only you can. Invite us, change us, and transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.